You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shayan and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shayan. Guys, welcome to Hack and Grow Rich. This is the place, this is the podcast. If you want to learn how to manage your life, handle your emotions, and get rich in good times or bad times, I'm your co-host, Bart Baggett, and the main man, the brainchild, the hack and go rich, that handsome Persian fellow over there, uh, Shaheen Cheyenne. Hello, brother. How have you been? Hey, I'm doing great, Bart. How are you? It's good, man. You like my new studio? I've been working on this a while. Got a little podcast studio of my own going on. Things are good. I think it's pretty epic, man. I think it's pretty epic. I'm impressed with your studio. Nobody wanted to paint this wall black. Like, that's a terrible idea. It's not black. It's charcoal. It's going to look great on camera. Like, it's a living room. Why are you going to paint that? I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I the wall black. Because it looks good on camera. And I can do stand-up over there, like a rehearsal. So it's all good. It's all, I'm all set up for me. That is a man cave if I've ever seen one. It's <laughs> the universal color of man caves. It's like my, my wife the other day came to me. She's like, hey, do you want a man cave? I was like, honey, the whole house is my man cave. <laughs> I've seen your house. Part of it's a man cave. You have to share it with with your family. This is fair. That's fair. I do. Fair is fair. So, guys, today, um, and we'll go live shortly on. Uh, I think it'll be Facebook today. Wow, it's giving you an option to go live on Twitch now. That's interesting. Um, so we'll go live today. I want to talk about a little bit about coming times about recession about inflation uh, and how to profit uh, in downtimes. Um, so let's go ahead and we will go live now on Facebook. And let's give it 30 seconds to go live on Facebook. And we will talk about tonight uh, recession tactics you can use to make sure that you and your family stay um, stay on top of things that you stay on top of your finances. I think one of the most important things that we've learned just even historically is that you can thrive in tough economic times. And that's the crazy thing. People are always looking at those, uh, at, at the current economic situation and people are saying, Hey, you know, this is going to be really rough. And the price of everything is expensive. I mean, I went to the store the other day and I got a bag of groceries and it was like 150 bucks. Like I was like, Oh shit. It's like, and I, I never look at the price of that kind of stuff anymore. You know, when I, before, when I didn't have money, I did. And now I just, you know, I just buy things, but I, I noticed I was like, Oh wow. The one bag I get from whole foods is like $230 instead of $150 WTF is going on. Like, Oh, it's $8 for an avocado. That's crazy. And I think for like, for us, it doesn't impact our lives as much because we're entrepreneurs and we're successful and, you know, we, we earn far more than we spend. So being able to, you know, reduce just a little bit in our lifestyles doesn't really make an impact. But for the majority of people, uh, this type of recession uh, where costs of everyday things are going up is hugely impactful, particularly even the cost of transport. I put uh, gas in my car in Los Angeles and uh, one of these tiny little convertible Mercedes, and it was $100 to fill up the gas tank. 
And this is the smaller ones. And I was like, that kind of hurts. But like you said, if I was a long haul trucker, that would be 30% of my cost of goods sold. That would be really impactful. If I commuted to work, you know, in a normal blue collar job, that would be really impactful. And so I think it does affect things. And I think this conversation is from an entrepreneur perspective. Most people tuning into this as an entrepreneur want to be entrepreneur. You want to do that. Um, but you're right. If you have enough cash flow, the pennies and dollars aren't going to affect lifestyle of people at the top. But it does affect people in the middle. You know, if you, we've got, I've got employees all over the world. Some are in Philippines. Some are in Bangladesh. If that's increasing 9 or 14%, but I'm not increasing their wage, it could affect their seriously, seriously affect their lifestyle to, to a dramatic point. Not even there. Here, things are going to get a lot worse. I don't think that, and, and I hate to be the kind of person preaching doom and gloom because I really don't believe in it. I believe that if you follow good, sound financial principles, you think outside the box and you can survive if you hack and grow rich, like is the title of our show, Bart, you can, you can get wealthy while everybody else is, is struggling to just get by. And this happens in every economy. You look at the turn of the century, you look at the 1930s, the Dust Bowl. We had a lot of repeats of what's happening now. If I, I was, in fact, I was looking at some footage of the 1930s, of the Great Depression and the Depression era, and you watch those videos. And the crazy thing is, that a lot of that stuff is coming back, like people moving out of their houses and into these tiny homes, like because it was boho chic, but yet you save money. That's happening now. There's a whole tiny house movement. You see people living out of their cars and these encampments that happened during the Great Depression. And then you see people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and all these people that we talk about with this enormous wealth. And then there's a whole nother group of people that are creating mega wealth. I know a lot of the guys that you and I know and, and have hung out with have companies that are valued in the billions with a B. If you remember, like in the 1990s, nothing sold for a billion. I mean, no company, certainly no tech company sold in the billions for a, with, a, with a B, no startup tech company. Of course, the giants were probably had that valuation. But now it's like there's unicorns everywhere. There's so many companies that have sold for a billion or more, even wacky little companies where you're like, oh, shit, that sold for a billion? And there's a huge amount of wealth being created. So ultimately, I think you have to make a choice on where you want to be when shit hits the fan. Well, I don't think a recession is much of a mystery. I've been going to stocks and investment seminars for the last six years, and the experts were hedging their bets. I'm not sure what happened. I would, I would love to know exactly how we started singing this song. Live. That's, that's really great stuff. Was that you? Or was that, that was me? absolutely not me. That was absolutely. I am so confused on how we just got a musical introduction when none of my software is open. Oh my god, that's so funny. I just hope that doesn't happen again. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> that was so surprising. Okay. Good thing I'm so used to live shit. Um, the experts have been, and I'm talking about these guys that are, uh, you know, hey, give me five hundred thousand dollars. Let me invest it. Let me short it for you. 
they lost money five years in a row because they kept thinking this was the year the mm. depression is coming. This is before COVID. And I know good people that are like, this is like, you can't go seven years. I've looked at history. It only goes seven years. The longest, you know, uh, non-recession has been nine years. Now we've gone 10, 11 years without a recession. So for anyone that is over 40 years old that has some understanding of the economy, realize that it goes up and down. And I knew, and at least I felt like I knew, when the housing prices were outbidding each other, it felt a lot like Los Angeles in 2005. When, when everybody that was a waiter and actor could walk in with a 550 credit score and get a million-dollar house. And I'm like, there's something not okay about this. And I know the fundamentals are different than 2008, of course, from the crash. I understand all that. But when other people like the Bitcoin and the real estate, when average non-sophisticated buyers are rushing into a market yeah. like like the dutch daisies or the dutch flag i'm always like okay something we're at the top of this thing not about you because you're you're also a real estate investor like me but at some point in the last year and a half i was like man i'm out unless i find a great deal like i'm just gonna wait till shit's on sale yeah. that's how you handle a recession and 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 i i'm no warren buffett but you know he actually admitted hey for the last 12 months We've been stiff. We've been tucking away money. We've been tucking away cash because that seems like the best way to prepare for a drop in value. And what happened in the last six weeks as recorded this is people got scared. The, the stock market did drop, tech drop, Bitcoin drop. So people then say, holy Christ, I Retail. don't have a lot of cash. And now I need the cash back. So where are you going to get the cash from? The only liquid assets are stocks and Bitcoin. And then you can't liquidate a house instantly. So, so, so I'm not scared. I kind of expected it. But if you're not in a position to either have cash, look at it. Because now, now the credit's dried up. So there's no more easy, dumb money to buy those things that are now on sale. But if you're a real estate investor, in the next three years, that's going to be the best time to buy. Think about all the people in the last three years that over leveraged, bought 10 Airbnbs because money was cheap. And now they're like, I'm going to be in business. And now they're like, oh, no, I got to sell one or two a year out of that. So there's going to be things on sale. And just like anybody who's ever gone to, to Walgreens or on Amazon, we like shit on sale. It makes us happy. Why would you buy anything retail if you can get it on sale at the same product? That's how you have to look at a recession is things are now on sale. And do you have the money or the credit or the relationships to create now a bigger asset pile and hang on to it for the next four to seven years? Is that fair the way to look at it? Yeah, I think it's very interesting. We talk about one of my good friends and author, Stuart Weil, who wrote The Trick to Money is having some interesting cat. He would teach us back in the days when he would do this course called Money Mastery. Uh, and his hack and not his hack, we're hacking grow rich. He was uh, the trick to money. When he would teach those those seminars, he would always tell us, look, these periods go in an admin and flow. And what you want to do is make sure you have a thick stack of cash under your mattress just for the, when the opportunities come. And you'll have those opportunities. They will come, but you have to be patient. And I was reminded of this, and I think I talk about this in my book, Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, which is out now, by the way, you guys on Amazon. Uh, so check it out. You can get on Audible now too. Uh, I was reminded of this when I was in the Amazon rainforest. And this was back before ayahuasca was popular. And I, I had been in, in this banana boat or whatever those little boats are going down the Amazon, meeting with this tribe of cannibals. And I remember we got out and the effects of the, of the, of the drug started to hit me, the medicine. 
and um, we saw a jaguar and you, know, you see the eyes light up in the forest. And we realized, I realized in that moment that this, this animal, this beautiful, majestic, huge, powerful animal wasn't there for us. It was there for lunch and, or dinner as, as the case may be. And it was hanging out in the forest and we must've sat there for two hours. And this thing was very silent, barely moved. If you didn't see the gleam in his eyes from our uh, flashlights on the boat, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really see this thing. And then finally, when the time was right, it pounced on some creature or something running around. It had its dinner. And I remember the big lesson for me was patience, was that you have to, in life, and I talk about this in my book, stock the object of your desires. Now, I don't mean stock in a, in a weird, like, uh, stalker kind of way. What I mean is the way that the jaguar stalked its prey, you have to think of your goals, your objectives as prey. And you have to have this patience, this patience of the jaguar, of this amazing, powerful creature. And a lot of that is, is just waiting. And it's hard for people to do. And I remember this also from my days as a day trader, trading futures and options and heavily leveraged commodities. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd be excited. I'd have the five monitors going. I'd have all the phone lines and the T1 line and the people I could call if I needed to. And the people who had my money on margin, I had all that stuff ready to go. And I'd look and there'd be no trades to be had. And at the end of the day, I'd feel fucking deflated because I'd be like, fuck, I spent you know four hours here. I didn't make a single trade. But I remember later realizing that those were the days where I made the most money because I didn't lose my capital. I waited. I saved it for another day. And that's the difference between an amateur and a pro, like you're saying, Bart. The difference is being able to save your money, save your resources until the opportunity presents itself. And how do you know that it's the right opportunity? It's going to feel like it's too good to be true. And so in any market, you have what's called price elasticity. And you have a market that raises and if that market raises artificially, which I believe now the real estate market, for example, is artificially raised, right? It's not just supply and demand. There isn't intrinsic value. Like getting a shack in Venice for $3.7 million doesn't pencil out. The mortgage on that thing is insane. The fact is that there's cheap money around right now, which is slowly coming to an end, and that those numbers are inflated. So- what, what will happen is when that $3.7 million teardown shack in Venice goes to three or let's say $2.9 million, there will be a flow of people who are waiting to get in at $2.9 million that'll come in and buy. And what will happen then is it'll bump up again because of supply and demand. Again, price, elas price elasticity. It's an artificial raise. It's not real. And then what will happen is it'll start going down. Maybe it'll go to 2 million, that same house. And people will go, whoa, I'm out. This is crazy. And then you'll hear the murmurs in the background, all the brokers going, you should invest in this and that and the stock market. And da, da, da. But the words won't be around real estate anymore. And then it'll go down to a million. And so now you're looking at what was a $3.7 million house or a $3.2 million house, and it's a million bucks. And then you pounce. Then you go in with the same money and you buy three. 
then you get investors and that's when you're going to make the real money. And a lot of us did that in LA during 2008, buying in downtown LA, buying in Venice, buying in all these areas. I've been buying real estate in Venice since uh, the early 1990s. And so you can do it, but timing is everything, which is what I got from the lessons that you were sharing with us here, Bart. That's amazing with the Jaguar. But most people, um, not most people, a lot of people are surprised that that this advice that you should buy when we're having a recession because they don't have any cash. And yet six months ago, you could get bank, you could get bank money for 2.9%, right? So there's this cycle of sort of a, a group think that, that everybody rushes into a certain thing. I had a conversation about Bitcoin about seven months ago and, Hey man, you got to get in. It's going to never going to go down. It's going to go up. And I'm like, you know, I've been part of Bitcoin for nine years off and on. And it went up and it went down and it went up and it went down and there were four years there where it didn't move and even though i am very pro uh you know crypto at the same time i felt like it was a rush and i felt like mm, you know what i'm not sure i want to take this hundred thousand dollars that i could buy a couple of condos with when the recession hits or a million or whatever the number is and and do that and um I'm not saying it won't come back. Again, if you have patience, you know, I've, I've had uh, investments for eight or nine years in that space and I'm super patient, but I sure can't cash out today. It's not one of those investments in a cash out. And I think that's the point. So I guess my question to you is, if you're not sitting on cash, if yeah. you're in that situation, is now a time to go buy a house? Is now a time to buy stock? Is now a time to borrow money against stock to, or leverage against Bitcoin? Or you're like, wait a second, have you learned your lesson yet? How do you pull back and take advantage of this? How would you give someone advice that making 100000 but they didn't have any cash? Really good idea. So you're saying somebody who makes $100,000? Yeah, they're, they're upper middle class. They're in their families doing well. They have uh -huh. a good job. But they didn't save money. They did. They went and maybe they bought a new car. Maybe they enjoyed the fruits of the stock market. Maybe they kept yeah. gambling on the stock market. They got a hit. But they're not like Warren Buffett. They don't have a million dollars cash sitting there to buy cash real estate offers. What do so you I, do? Yeah, yeah. Look, I think there's a few sound principles that you can follow. Principle number one is diversification. And you got to follow this because... I talk about foundational thinking all the time. This is why I encourage people to start Amazon businesses. Check us out, fbasellercourse.com. Book a time. Give you guys a free course if you want. Just reach out to me. Um, you have to diversify. You have to have different streams of cash flow coming in at all times, first off. Secondly, you should have a diversified portfolio. You should have some money in stocks, bonds, futures, options, all that stuff. Maybe not futures, but maybe, maybe an ETF that invests in futures. You could do that. But you should be diversified enough where you're, you can buy at the right times. So if you think you get a little bit of cash in, you buy a little bit of gold. Yeah, you can buy gold bullion. It's the best way to do it. And that's an inflationary hedge. Gold never goes down that much. It's been going up since they removed the gold standard, I think it was like in the 1970s, 1960s when they removed that. And so you have a little bit of gold. You, you have to make smaller moves. You buy a little bit of stock. Maybe you research a stock. Now, again, I'm not uh, espousing anybody purchase anything, but I bought a little bit of uh, Palantir and I've been increasing my positions in Palantir because I looked at the fundamentals of that company. And I looked at the price point and I just waited for it to go down and I slowly started buying in. Could it go to zero? Sure. 
Could it go to $300 a share? Possible over time, but it's a small, it's a small bet. It's part of my diversification strategy. And then I look at other uh, investments that I make. Real estate, super important. You know, it's funny what you were talking about uh, recession and inflation. So we've got a problem now as it stands in cars. There aren't any cars anywhere. And um, I, me and my son, what we do is we, we love looking at exotic cars, especially Porsches. And I was in the market for one. So it was like, all right, let's go take a look. So we went to the dealership here in Los Angeles, uh, the Porsche dealership. And the guy came out very nice, uh, a dealer that I've known for years. And he said, Shaheen, I got to tell you, we don't have any cars. I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, we can let you drive, you know, the latest ones. I know you, you, you like these cars. You can drive the ones that you see on our website. We just can't sell them to you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, all the cars that you see here, they're sold. And we don't know what's coming in September. So we've been offering a crazy amount of money to anybody who's got a used Porsche to bring it in and sell it to us. We would never offer these prices to customers. Most people are getting 20, 30% more than what they paid for these cars four or five years ago now to buy. And Porsches are, are, are renowned for uh, holding their value. They're one of the highest resale cars. It's Porsche and then BMW, uh, depending on which models you get. But very effectively, you could buy a Porsche or a BMW if you know how to buy correctly, drive it for two to four years, and then sell it for more than you bought it for. So we, we're talking about kind of these inflationary hacks. So I think I can share one hack with you as far as cars go. That's that look at cars in your area, but buy them in small towns. And why do I say this? Okay. In LA, you walk into the Porsche dealership like we did, and we, we drove the new Porsche Taycan, beautiful car. It's the all-electric Porsche Taycan. Um, was impressive, not as impressive as the Tesla Plaid, I have to say. I thought the Tesla Plaid, which I drove the other day, was, was much better. And we, we, we sat in the car. I think Porsche has a little bit of work to do on their electric Taycan. Their other cars are spectacular. And so we, we test drove this car, and... The first hack that I realized is drive the cars where you're at, buy them in a small town. Why? Okay. In LA, a $200,000 car, I know it sounds crazy. That's what these things are going for now. 150 to 200,000 cars are going for 50,000 or a hundred thousand over sticker. When you get to these luxury models, he had a car out front and I said, Hey bud, uh, well, how much is that one? He said, 150 K. I said, great. I'll take it. I love it. I, I, I got the money right now. I'll take it. And he said, Oh, but I can't sell it to you for that much. I said, why not? He said, you know, Mr. Shane, we're getting 100 grand above. So if you want to pay 250, I can sell that to you. Otherwise, I can't sell it to you. So in LA, New York, Miami, $100,000 car, every guy that walks in can get that or at least lease it. That's a $2,300 a month payment to get a $100,000 car, right? And you can sleep in your mom's basement and drive a, a fancy car like that. People do that all the time in LA. But in these small towns, it's not the case. In the Midwest, it's not the case. And they get an allocation of these cars. So if you want to buy a fancy car, a really nice car, get it somewhere there because it's sitting on the lot. They occasionally have somebody coming in. And if you're okay, maybe getting in a different color. I love red cars. And in LA, red cars go 
crazy. And you, know, you get a Porsche, a red Porsche is beautiful. I have one right now that's a Panamera red 4S, beautiful car. And in LA, it's like every other car on the road. You know, everybody loves seeing it's not even the most impressive of the of the fancy cars. But somebody in Jacksonville, Florida might not want to uh, be seen in a red flashy car like that. It might be against the, the Southern culture there, or in or, some parts of Texas, or but they Kansas have Kansas or, or some of the more conservative places. Yeah. But they have those allocations. They have those cars. And so you can get cars 20 or 30% less. Now people are afraid, like, how am I going to get here? I don't want to drive. You don't drive it. It's super cheap. Even now with these uh, exorbitant gas prices, which we're being gouged with getting a car shipped from the East Coast, the furthest point on the East Coast to Los Angeles, it's going to be about twelve hundred to two grand tops. That's it. It's a monthly payment. No big deal. It's a monthly payment. But and people- and what about taxes? You know, you live in Los Angeles, and you know it's eight or nine percent tax on top yeah. of that from a dealer. Tags and licenses. Do you still have to pay tax if you buy it in Chicago or Kansas? And is it different? Uh, so it depends on where you live. If you live in Los Angeles, the answer is, yeah, you do. So when you bring it into LA, you register it and that happens. Now, if you live in one of these other states um, or one of the tax-free states, like if you live in Oregon or one of these other states, then you don't. Um, But if you then move to a state that's high in tax, like New York, for example, you probably probably, uh, would need to. I'm not a tax consulting kind of guy. But, you know, there's ways to get around that. The best way is to just get such a great deal on these cars. And right now, again, there aren't great deals. The second thing that you should do when there aren't that many great deals, like the dealers are working on very small margins. So when you buy a car, I tell people this, it used to be you walk in on a $100,000 car, you'd have 20 grand worth of margin you could negotiate, maybe 10 grand worth of margin. Now they're talking hundreds of dollars, maybe of discount. So on a $100,000 car, they might be like, hey, I'll give it to you for 99980 if you're lucky. Most of the dealers aren't even negotiating. And they they make, do they make their money on the insurance policy, especially the used car dealership? I had a friend of mine in Canada, and she's like, I'm not sure if I need this. And I go, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm pretty sure they're going to make about $1,000 out of that $1,000 you pay them for that third market insurance. Now I could be wrong, but they didn't have any customer service at the dealership. It was a third party. I said, no, no, beware. That's a really good moneymaker for the dealership. It's bad for you. Was I, did I give good advice to my friend? Yes. Never buy the warranties. If in life you never buy extended warranties on anything, and I'll tell you the exception, the exception is a CPO, a certified pre-owned from the manufacturer. That's different. From the manufacturer. From the manufacturer. If Toyota, you can take it to any Toyota dealership, and they will fix it, then that's okay. If you could take it to any Porsche dealership and Porsche will fix it for free, that's called CPO, certified pre-owned. And that's a policy from the manufacturer. And you can only get it if you buy the car from a dealer. And I'm not talking about any car dealer, from the dealer of the manufacturer. So Porsche, Porsche dealer, a certified Porsche dealer, then you can get that. Then that policy is worth um, but other than that, never buy the extended warranties and you'll make out very well in life because the one or two times that something does break, uh, it'll be covered. The, the second exception is cell phones. Or when a cell phone is new for the first year, it makes sense to pay for the replacement warranty. After the first year, the depreciation on the phone makes the warranty not worthwhile. And you can cancel. And, and sometimes they replace lost phones too. And that's a really handy thing for phones. Um, speaking of warranties, you are an Amazon expert. You make tons of money on that. I heard, 
that most of their profit, that and Best Buy, is from the extended warranty that you see when you start to check out. So I buy lots of electronics from my studio, and there's some things I'm like, that was that was twenty dollars. Why would I spend four ninety nine to cover a twenty dollar investment? Is that also uh, a waste of money? Yeah. So look, so um, we made a huge chunk of our money uh, back in the days when I had the vaporizer on extended warranties. Now we had a great margin on vaporizers. I mean, I remember in the beginning, they cost me 40 bucks and we were selling it for $399 each, but it was because we had a monopoly. We we're the only people making vaporizers. There was no other vaporizer company. So we're it. You want to smoke? Great. But you want to buy a, a you know pipe? Great. But if you want to vaporize, we're the only game in town and we're the only uh, portable game, battery operated digital vaporizer in town. Now I wanted to increase double the company revenue one year. So I decided, hey, let's do an insurance policy. People are paying $400 for these devices. Let's give them a, a, a warranty that we can do. And so we had the first tier, which was really easy. It was 25 bucks. We'll add uh, six months onto your warranty. And then the next one was 50 bucks and we'll add two years. So of course you're going to pay 50 bucks and get two years instead of six months. That makes sense. But then we had another one that was $99 and it was just, just, hair under hundred. And it was a lifetime replacement warranty that included throwing it in the pool, having the kid jump on it, whatever. Wow. And that was a hundred bucks. And we had about 27% of people buying that when it was sold to them over the phone on the internet, it was a lot less. It was like 7%, but uh, 23% over the phone. So somebody would call and then we would give them a bonus to make that worthwhile. We'd be like, Hey, you need these extra accessories, a fast charger and this and that. Those will come free when you buy the warranty. It was like $5 worth of extra stuff that we would give them at our cost. Right? And it looked like $100 worth of value. So we were like, hey, you're getting all this stuff that you wouldn't normally buy. And you know, plus you get this. We made so much money, Bart. And I'll tell you the most amazing thing. I think my entire time in the vaporizer business, selling millions and millions of dollars worth of vaporizers, I could count on two hands the number of times somebody sent a product in for a lifetime warranty claim. Wow. So they never even used it, but no. they bought it. And I'll tell you the other crazy thing. Our company policy was for any reason a customer sent in a product at any time with or without a receipt, we just send them a new one. That was the company policy. So, so I, I love that policy. I, I heard from Dan Kennedy maybe maybe 30 years ago because I've been in the information business. We sell home study courses, and look, it's a couple thousand dollars. Maybe you don't like it. You don't like my voice. Maybe you don't like what's it. Maybe the CD broke. Unlimited one-year money-back guarantee. And so many entrepreneurs are so afraid to make that offer. You said lifetime, but I was like, look, a lifetime. In 20 years of selling personal, maybe 30 now, we're talking CDs, cassettes, now digital, right? I've had maybe less than five people ask for a refund, and it always always looks like this. Hey, man, having a hard time. My mom's in the hospital. I found this box of unopened CDs. I feel really bad about asking for my money back. You know, and I were like, and our staff is like, sure, no problem, ma'am. And the way I rationalize a business owner is I said, first of all, you're making the purchase really easy. Yeah, trust me, here's two grand. Maybe I don't like it, maybe I don't. So it's easy to say yes occasionally people would steal it or, or copy it, but generally not, right? Now, those people are not that, that big a deal. They don't affect your bottom line much. But I looked at it as a 12-month interest-free loan. 
I said, you know what? They gave me a 12-month interest-free loan. And I thank you very much. No problem. Here's your money back. But the number of sales that people said yes to, because for 25 years, if you buy something from Barton, don't like it. If you send me a book, I don't like it. You can have your money back. But so few people do it because it takes effort. And especially those that are like really in the community, they don't want to be that jerk that a seminar and go, oh, that guy refunded his money. So it's a great policy. And not only is it profitable, but it makes the customer safe. And I think, in, especially in America, you have to have that sort of non-sleazy, money-back, we're here for the relationship policy because that's what people expect in the USA. I don't know how it is in other parts of the world, but I think at least in America, the slime quotient of most companies are decreasing. Maybe we could talk about auto sales is not as that, <laughs> but generally, generally, I think almost all companies are trying to build relationships, not just short-term profit. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And you got to treat your customers well. And I, I'm a big efficiency guy. If you can implement little things like that, like, hey, somebody, somebody calls. I mean, you make sure first your product isn't shitty and breaking all the time. But somebody calls and something you sold them breaks, send them a new one. Who cares? It's the story they're going to tell. I had somebody tell me they sat on a pair of glasses that we made. They literally told me they sat on a pair of glasses. Is there anything we could do for them? And I said, yes, sir. What's your address? We're sending a new pair now cost me two bucks. They're going to tell the whole world, maybe 10 bucks with shipping, shipping prices have gone up. They're going to tell the whole world about how they got one over on the company. And, you know, they even shipped them one after they sat on it. And I said, you know what, in fact, I'm going to send you two, give one to, to a friend and spread the word about it. And it's that, it's that kind of thing. It's just, and, and the truth is, it's just more efficient than freaking dealing with the guy and customer service and getting somebody to deal with them and checking the receipt and all that stuff. There's so few, so few of those kinds of returns or issues or whatever. Save yourself a whole customer service department. Just send them a new one. It's easier. It, yeah, in, in, in many cases, especially physical products, we literally be like, hey, here's your money back. Don't ship the product back. It's our gift. Go ahead and keep it. And, and um, why we do that is... It costs money to repackage and reshelf and re reseal things up if you if you ship real products. Sometimes it's cheaper just to not deal with it at all. And of course, you don't want the customer sort of expecting that. But it's kind of, kind of like when you cancel a subscription program online. Oh, great. here's a great hack. Speaking of hacks, if you have a reoccurring subscription to anything, SEM Rush, you know, something, even Zoom or something, when you cancel, these big companies will offer you the next two months for half price. I see that every time. I'm like, why am I paying $13 for this or whatever? You know, and then and then on that thank you page, hey man, what if we gave you two months with half price? Would that be okay? I'm putting on a hold. How about seven bucks a month just to hold your material? That is a great hack that a lot of big companies do that that probably save you hundreds of dollars a month if you've got 25 subscription services. Yeah. Spectrum used to do that. So I actually used to have it be my job. I had a VA and it was that VA's job to call 10 companies that I have subscriptions to, the phone service, the internet, the, all that stuff, and to complain, then they would tell them they wanna cancel, make sure they don't cancel, and they take you to the cancellation department, and then they give you a discount on the month. And we would do that every month, and we would save hundreds of dollars every month. It would pay for the virtual assistant. You literally had a VA mm -hmm. game the system because they don't wanna lose your business. Yeah, they didn't really game the system. We just found out what the vulnerability was. I love you so much. It's that so great. <laughs> yeah, so the VA would, you know, Monday morning, 9 a.m., they would call, you know, call call Verizon, call, you know, uh, the cable company, call the, this company, 
all the subscription services and say, hi, we want to cancel. Oh, sir, we can't cancel. We got to forward you the cancellation. Well, what seems to be the problem? And there's always a problem with all these services. And they would share, they would say, look, we just really want to cancel. Look, well, what could we do to keep your business? Well, half price sounds good. Well, sir, we couldn't possibly do half price. How about we give you $50 off? Great. Their job is done because that pays for the VA for the day. And now any other ones that they get us as a bonus. And you just do that across the board for all those companies. Let, let me wrap up this, this, this topic, because if you didn't hear some of the other episodes, you're not going to understand. We're talking about open the show by, hey, we're so wealthy, gas price doesn't hurt us. And now you're talking about saving 50 bucks a month. And, and there's, there's a really a theme here. Shaheen used a coupon with his first date to his wife. And he did not care how it looked. He's going to use the damn coupon because he loves saving money just as much as you love making money. And my dad always said, it's not about what you make, it's what you keep. And so there's two sides of conversation, make money, save money, but then why not have extra cash sitting there so when we have hard times, when we have recessions, when we have opportunities come up and say, look, I actually have cash for that house. I'll pay you. My father must have bought 50 houses because he had cash. And they said, my neighbor, my friend, my dad died. Can, I'm, I'm moving. What can you do? Hey, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll pay you $5,000 to move out. I'll take over the lease. Sign me the warranty deed. And your, your problems are gone. And you're going to see that in the next five years. People that uh, bought these expensive houses, depending how the real estate goes, you'll have people that are having challenges. You got to be there with a solution. And that solution usually involves either creativity or some cash. He, you know, he bought a lot of houses with no cash at all. You've done that. Yeah, you've, yeah. you've bought cashes with, and and to people that never done it, it sounds impossible. I don't have good credit. I don't have cash. What do you mean you get houses for free? What are you talking about? Well, there's houses all the time. People get rid of. People die. People don't do with it. They got to fly into, into Canton, Ohio, and they're now they they got this house they don't want. Please take it off my hands. That's the whole sort of real estate you know ecosystem of these investors and flippers, and they're looking for probates. And there's a whole market there if you're willing to study and learn it. Yeah. So I'll tell you the story about the haunted house that I bought on eBay, uh, which is a fascinating story. I don't know if I've ever told that story. No, no I'm I'll excited. Share, I'll share that story. Our friend Ken Rutowski loves that story. He always calls me, calls me up to talk about that. But I'll, I'll first you know, preface it with, to your coupon story, that it's not about being cheap. It's not actually even about saving money. It's about being efficient. I oftentimes will go to lunch with, three or four millionaires and we'll all be sitting there. We're all, you know, pulling up and Bentley's Porsches, whatever. Everyone's got a multi-million dollar house and a big lifestyle and we'll all split the check. Why? Any one of us could pay for the check and it would have zero impact on our lives, but, but we do it because we're efficient that way. And, and efficiency is one of the things, one of the marks that I look for when I invest in businesses, when I look at businesses and think, What's the thing that bothers me most about how businesses are run is inefficiency. If your business is inefficient, you're going to have a lot of problems and that business is not going to run. So I'll tell you, I, I was bored one night and I was like, you know what? I got my new American Express Platinum in. This was a long time ago in the early 2000s. And I thought, you know what? I, I got this Platinum card. Let me see what I can like. I could rack up some miles on this. I wonder if I could buy a house on eBay. So I started looking on eBay and most people don't know you can buy houses on eBay. You absolutely can. And I see this house in Illinois and the house is 
a mega like craftsman house, like six, seven bedrooms, uh, the beautiful spiral hand carved staircase. No, it's in all types of disrepair. And the pictures are of the house in winter. And so I call the company, apparently it's one of these liquidation companies, the bank sells them, all the houses that have been foreclosed on, they buy them in a bulk package. They send some kid who's out of work over there, take one picture during the winter months <laughs> and they put it online and they don't worry about it because the bank gets half, they get half. They don't care how much they're selling this stuff for. They've got volume. So I buy the house. It was like 5,000 bucks or maybe less. Maybe it was like 2,000 bucks. Yeah, I remember twos. So maybe it was like two, 2,500, something like that. So I buy it on my credit card, on my Amex card, not a big deal. And I wait. I wait a couple months till the season changes. And now the snow melts. And I hire some kid on Craigslist to go out and take some pictures. Kid takes the pictures inside and out. The place is a wreck. I mean, wait, the cost of repair of this home is more than the value of it once it's repaired. But it's a beautiful old home in a very rough neighborhood. And so I'm like, this would be an interesting thought experiment. Let me list it for $75,000 back on eBay. So I start getting bids on this property. And every time it goes up to close to 50,000 and then stops. Now, remember, I bought this property for a couple thousand bucks just a few months ago, but now we've got nice pictures. So it makes all the, all the difference and a listing copy. And I describe everything. They didn't do anything. I described everything perfectly. I said, beautiful hand carved staircase. You know, I think we even dug up a little bit of history on the house. And I'm like, man, it would be cool if I could, it'd be a good story, especially if I could sell this thing for 75. I mean, I could get 50, but what about 75? I got a little greedy. Greed is good, my friends. We learned that from watching Wall Street, Michael Douglas. So I looked at some of the pictures closely and I thought, what other story could I tell? And there was a kitchen with a little TV. Now there was no power in this house. There was no power and plumbing. They'd actually stolen the copper piping from the walls. Uh, people who had uh, been in the neighborhood and they've stolen the copper wiring. So there was no power, no electricity, no utilities in the house. And there was an old TV sitting on the kitchen counter that somebody had left there and it was not plugged in. But on the TV was a ghastly picture of a woman and a child staring into the, into the screen. And if, when we zoomed in on the picture, we saw it, it was uncanny. It was not a figment of the imagination. It was actually there. And so I researched it and there, there was a rare phenomena where uh, the images in those old CRT TVs could get burnt into the screen if it was long enough on there. Uh, very rarely happened, but certain things had to be in place for it to happen. So I decided, hey, what, you know what? This looks like a haunted house. I'm going to sell it as a haunted house. <laughs> so I changed the listing. I hired a designer. I think it was on Fiverr in those days or Up, Upwork, which was Elance. I paid like 20 bucks and I had to make a haunted house listing. And the calls started coming in like crazy. And the auction ended at like 73,500. Still didn't sell. My reserve was 75,000. And then the very next day, the phone rings. And it's a lady and it's the Malibu psychic to the stars lady. And she has a feeling about this house. She saw it on eBay late at night. She has to have it and she can wire the money in the morning. But it's not in Malibu. It's in the Midwest. This house was in Illinois near Indiana. Got it. Yeah. And she just wanted to buy a haunted house in Indiana and she got it. 
<laughs> and that was the crazy. That's how I got seventy five thousand bucks from a uh, you know twenty five hundred dollar investment. And then I took that that seventy five thousand and I bought a property in Daytona on the water, Daytona Beach, Florida on the water. Now that was much better because that was livable. So I rented that out. And once I rented it, I got a management company. Uh, that property value went up because now it had a tenant in there. And I sold that for a hundred and something thousand dollars. And then I took that money and I invested it in something near Miami. Now, the Miami property was much more rentable. I had to put a little bit on top of it. And then I just started buying properties left and right in those areas. And it was a great intro into income real estate. But that's how I took 2500 bucks and turned it into a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio uh, just, by, just by building up. And I did it all with no money. That first house was bought on that American Express Platinum card that the bill got paid with uh, the, the revenue from the sale. That is, is a great story. Um, we're, we're almost on time for this episode, but I think that it might be worth having an entire episode on real estate and private lending. I was just on the phone with a friend of mine who said she'd come on the show and talk about it because she's done hundreds of thousands of, 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 of deals uh, because she does things at wholesale. But just so you know, you don't have to have cash. And you said something really interesting. Because there's a tenant in it, I could get more money. So you could do it two ways. Going to give you a thirty-second overview. We'll we'll book a show on this. Is that you know you could buy a house, rehab it, and then you could then refinance it. So you get the tenant. The tenant's stable. They're stable. Now you could just refinance, pull your seventy thousand out, or seventy seventy percent out, right? Or you could go in and buy a HUD house or some discount house and come with the financing to the table with a private lender which means that you're not going to Wells Fargo. You're not going to Bank of America. They don't really care if you've got perfect credit, but if you had a history of, of having six or seven houses complete, they're great. So there's a lot of ways to slice that without necessarily having a bag of money. And I'll tell you what held me up for years, Shaheen, even though my family's been in real estate for years, is I had this wrong belief that I had to have 100% of the money ready before I could start investing in property. And even though I've been around people like you and other people, that held me up. Talk about that, why that's such a corrupting belief system, because that's just not true. But unless you sit down with a private lender, sit down with a banker this generous, sit down with your investment friends and say, yeah, I got this house for free from my aunt's neighbor. How do you break that system? And then let's tease them about the next episode or the couple that we'll talk about real estate investing. Yeah. So again, I think your, your question is, how do you get around uh, that, that kind of thing? And I think the answer is first and foremost, timing. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. I don't know how the rest of the song goes, but, but you, you're so you, country. You're so country. I know. It was a Kenny Rogers song, by the way, and he did pass in the last couple of years, but uh, <laughs> Kenny fantastic. Rogers for, for those of you that are not familiar with country and Western genre. I am country. I'm from Iran. I love country. <laughs> so, so, all right. So check it out. So I think the first thing is you can find a great deal in any market. You and I have talked about this many times, even now, even at the height of the market, you can find a great deal. It just entails thinking out of the box. Deals aren't just about price. You need to know that. So a lot of it could be uh, finding uh, a deal that's structured in a way that works for you. If you're getting a house that's a $10 million house and you're only negotiating on the price, you might not have $10 million. Now, if I told you, Bart, you could have that $10 million house and paid off 
over the next hundred years, you'd be like, hell yeah, let me do it. That's not a big deal. I'm not even going to be around a hundred years. So terms matter. And there's a lot of different functions to that. The third is negotiation, being able to negotiate what you want. And negotiation almost always comes down to something more than price. So just keep those things in mind, guys, that it's not just about buying low and selling high, although that, that helps. It's a lot about timing. It's about mindset. It's about being able to find deals in any market. It's about being able to think outside the box. It's about using unconventional tactics, which is what the show is about, to achieve wealth. And unconventional tactics, workarounds, elegant or inelegant workarounds that can get you to where your goals are. Uh, and Bart, let me ask you a question. Speaking about marketing. So, uh, Craig Jacobson, who's a really cool guy I met in San Diego, who's asking now on the Facebook group, uh, he's asking, can Bart share insights of how to read handwriting and fit the pitch to a prospect? So can you give a brief rundown of how, if you're trying to buy a home or a property, uh, is there a way where you could you could analyze, I guess, uh, handwriting. Um, you, for you guys who don't know, Bart is one of the foremost experts in handwriting analysis. I know he was in court all week doing handwriting analysis for big trials and, and things that are going on. And uh, let's hear what he has to say. First of all, Craig is one of the smartest marketers I know. So, hey, shout out to you. Thanks for listening, buddy. We need to have him on the show. He is He's one of the, the smartest guys I've ever met when it goes to marketing. And I know a lot of smart people. Um, to make it easy, if you know the personality type of a buyer, you then carve and craft your sales pitch into the listening of that. Whether it's body language or matching and mirroring, which we've said for years, Napoleon Hill talks about um, uh, Napoleon Hill and then the other books, Think and Go Rich as well, is um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Those are all basically the same idea that if you can read your prospect well, you have a better chance of helping sell them. What I noticed relating handwriting, because you have to get pretty good at it to be fast, but logical people write straight up and down. People that write really tiny are introverted, which means you're not going to read them as well. And then if you've got people with really large handwriting, they're going to be the ones that are the easiest to uh, to read their emotions. So while you're selling a prospect one-on-one, -on -one, the skill set of knowing their personality is useful. Craig, I think the most interesting value for spending a, a, a couple of grand learning how to analyze handwriting is that when people know that you have this innate skill, it's not innate, it's, it's trained, right? Um, they will say, oh my God, analyze my handwriting, analyze my wife's handwriting. And the rapport that you build in that 30 seconds of that two minutes is so interesting because now you're just no longer a number. Um, I'll, I'll tell you just kind of a briefly why this, this is such a work. So, so yes, it has value. Yes, it's useful in psychology. Yes, it's useful in your business. But as far as just social lubricant, um, I was out to chill with my dad, and my dad's in his 80s, right? And, and he's obviously not flirting with the waitress because, come on, darling, give me a sample of handwriting. And you could tell she's having a bad day, didn't want to have anything to do with this. It was late in her shift, and her, her whole body language was just down, right? And she was just fine, fine. So they brought the handwriting over. And within like 10 seconds, she her eyes lit up. So, oh my God, my boyfriend just told me that. And then she went, got the other waitress and the, the bartender. And then she goes, I got to tell you, this is the most fun I've ever had at work. Can I thank you guys? Can I buy you free dessert? And so the rapport and the connection you have when you connect with somebody and they feel like they know you, I think that's probably even a bigger benefit than even crafting your sales pitch 
to their personality. And uh, Craig, thanks for coming, man. We got to have that guy on the show. He's a genius. Yeah, interesting guy. He's got some interesting takes on marketing that I've spoken to him before. So I uh, definitely like to get him on. So let me ask you a question, Bart. I know you understand the power of podcasts, but if you wanted to get on great podcasts just like this one, is there a service that you might use that could book you on unlimited podcasts for a one-time monthly fee that's transparent and clear? Um, I think there is. Uh, and, and for those of you that don't know what's coming, when I was in my 20s, I lucked out. I, I got so lucky to meet a dude that all he did was book me on radio shows. And if I hadn't have met Mike Van Norton, I would have done a two, 100 shows or 50 shows. But instead, I did 1,500 because all he did was book me on morning radio shows. But podcasts are the new morning radio shows. And so, yeah, there's a company called Podcast Cola. And, and for a low monthly fee, they'll book you. I can't promise that you'll get on the biggest shows like Joe Rogan, like I probably could because I've been doing this for years, but you will get experience. And, you know, a lot of you don't know my story, but when I was 19, I ended up on the Jay Thomas show on KISS 106 in L.A. I'm 19 or 20. At the time, I didn't know. Oh, my God, L.A., New York, biggest markets in the world. Nobody gets on those shows, right? Years later, this uh, host in New York goes, Bart, we kept you on three segments we kept Michael Jackson on one segment. Like you should be really appreciative that you got three segments because I'm an interesting guest. So yeah, Podcast Cola, I think that's the name of it. It's pretty cool. If you want to be a podcast guest, you have to get your pitch straight. Podcasts are the greatest way to do it. I can't tell you how many radio interviews I did in Kansas, in, in Iowa, in Wyoming before I got good at explaining my story and getting people to say, yes, I'm going to, you know what? I'd love your book, Bart. Hey, is it free? Yeah. You know what? Go to getbartsbook.com, download it for free. And on the thank you page, go spend $17 and get the upsell. Damn it. It's great for you. Your life will be better. Like, you know, we did that kind of thing. We did 800 numbers back then, but podcasts are at least a minimum, a great training ground to get your pitch tight. But more importantly, they stay on forever. The thing about morning radio, if you didn't hear me when you're driving to work, you didn't hear Bart. I mean, now they replay the Howard Stern interviews a few times a year, right? But podcasts stay forever. So if you can end up getting really good, then the big shows will pull you in. And that big show, I mean, I made, oh God, we, 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 when I was on Howard Stern, which is different than podcasts, that was, so think of Howard Stern back in 1990 as Joe Rogan today, right? It's the biggest thing going on. And when you're on that show, hundreds of thousands of, of books are being sold and people are interested in downloading your stuff and learning about it. Um, Shaheen, did I get that correct, that uh, website with the, with the Podcast yeah. Cola? Guys, check us out. That's our new startup, podcastcola.com. We book everyday people like yourself and extraordinary people like your favorite authors, uh, filmmakers, doctors, lawyers, anybody that's got a service or product to sell and wants to do it through the avenue of telling stories through the channel and medium, which is now podcast. I know you mentioned Joe Rogan, uh, probably the greatest living podcaster out there, but there are over 7 million amazing podcasts. And especially in your niche, I know you're watching this. You've come here for a reason. Go to podcastcola.com and book a free, no obligation, 15-minute consultation with me, and I'll talk you through, and we'll see if having you on shows just like this one is right for you. If you're interested in selling on Amazon, check out fbasellercourse.com, and as Bart said, 
getbartsbook.com for getting Bart's book. Bart, is there any other way where you would like people to engage with you or contact you if they've got compliments or insults? Or- yeah, I mean, I've got an Instagram page. Uh, our main uh, information site is handwriting university.com. There, there's a free introductory course there. There's some paid courses there. And I love those books that we're giving away. I find that when people engage and read a book, getbartsbook.com or barbaggett.com, they become fans. And then they're like, hey, what else do you have? How can you help me? I spent two hours today teaching marketing to my trainers in India and in Singapore and Australia. So lots of other things that once you get in the ecosystem of Shaheen and I that we can help you with. But if we're kind of new to us, you know, stop by, say hi, get on our email list and um, hit the like and subscribe button so that next time we do this live uh, on YouTube or, or on the podcast, we'll notify you. Where is the podcast on? I, I know it's on all of them, but I use Spotify mainly. Can I find it there and subscribe to myself? Yeah, check us out on Hack and Grow Rich. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever podcasts are found, and on YouTube. So check us out on there. I think we got to get on, uh, we've got to get on TikTok. That's the one one avenue that we just started posting on. Uh, so we got to get bigger on TikTok. I know that's huge. Snapchat, we're working on. I think we can start putting some content on there from what I understand. And I have no idea how to do Twitch or any can of those. We, can we put it on my OnlyFans page? Because I think, I think there's a real potential for me and an OnlyFans page. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's do that on there. And with If you that, didn't get the sarcasm, guys, if you didn't get the irony in that comment. I'm sorry. We're going to do that. There's people Googling Bart's OnlyFans. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, actually, I actually know a dude who's, who's making $150,000 a week on that website. A dude. I so. don't, I think he's doing something I'm not willing to do. That's just a guess, uneducated guess. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are devolving. Thank you for joining us on Hack and Grow Rich. Bart, always an honor to have you on. And until next week, we will see you later. Remember to hack and grow rich. Okay, that was fun. If you liked what you saw, make sure to subscribe and like below. Make sure to leave us a comment and join the community.